Father God, we come before you, Christ, in your name as a body, and we just uh, we lift up this time and worship and study, Lord God. We just lift up Jack, your hand be upon him, and uh, open our hearts, Lord God. Help us to be true students of your word with discernment. Christ, in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, God's good, isn't he? All the time. I forgot a couple of announcements. I can't, I'd be remiss if I let them go. So, where's Becca at? Where you at, Becca? Go get her. She's out there hearing it right now. So there's a TV out there with sound on. So, it's, uh, it's Becca Rhodes' 14th birthday today. And I told her I'd, I'd tell her happy birthday, but I don't want it to be unembarrassing. So there's Becca. Everybody say happy birthday, Becca. So she's 14 today, and and uh... <laughs> so she's going to be outside at the table, right, doing the tickets for the pig, the raffle tickets for the pig. So every time you guys walk by and see her, make sure you tell her happy birthday. All right. <laughs> Also, yep, you can clap for her. Uh, Also, I wanted to let everybody know, we are a family integrated service, which means your kids are welcome in here. We also have Sunday school and stuff going on, so your kids are welcome there too. Whatever you want to do, you're their parent. Uh, All we ask is just so we can give focus to the Word, if uh, they start to get a little bit rowdy, just step out for a minute. You can come right back in when they calm down. But right out here, there's TV, and there's another TV that has the service. So you don't have to miss anything if that goes on. Just trying to be sensitive to everybody, right? And not uh, not be hung up on one thing or another. So just wanted to be able to share that with you guys. As we uh, take a look at what we got scripturally this morning, I want to remind you, one of the one of the themes as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, if you remember, verse 1 started with this idea that God has spoken. So God has given us His Word, right? God has shared with us His Word and His truth. So, so the question to us as we work our way through the book, lots of things for us to, to glean and hold on to, but the question we want to continually be asking ourselves is this. How are we responding to the Word of God? How is it that we respond? Are we responding to what God says? Or are we responding to, to the, what the Lord has for us? Because last week, God very specifically told us some ways that He would like you and I, as believers, to respond to His Word. you remember? Last week, we talked about this section. Remember, we have three paragraphs together. They are all tied together by a Greek word, gar, which is the word for or which can mean because. So each idea flows to the next. Because, because, because. You guys with me so far? So last time what we talked about was God wants something from us. What is it that He wants from us? He wants us, let us, remember, draw near unto God. God is looking for a real communion from us toward Him. Right? That's, that's our desire to hold on to God. Our desire to cling to Him, to look to Him, to reach out for Him. God is also looking for us to hold fast. Let us hold fast to our confession. So we have need of endurance. We're going to be building on that idea next week as we continue to work our way through these three paragraphs. So we have an enduring confession to God. 
Remember, we go back to John 3.16. A lot of people like to quote John 3.16. We know it, right? For God so loved the world, right? That He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And what we forget oftentimes when we look at that section of Scripture, whosoever believes, that is a continuous action. It's an enduring confession. You with me? It means we keep on believing. We keep on believing. That's, that's just the reality. Belief is something that we endure. We endure with. We have an enduring confession to God. And then finally, let us consider how to stir up. Let us consider how to be considerate of others. Right? So, you know, it's, it's kind of like how we, how we, the subject we touched on in the beginning of service, right? Saying we're family integrated. We gotta be okay both ways. Yeah? Means we have patience with little ones because they're little ones. It's okay. And they're here. That's good. And we have patience with one another who, who, uh, it's a little more difficult to stay focused when those things are going on. We consider both ways. We look at both things. We work together because God says, I want you guys to get along. We ought to be able to do that, right? Because Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're mine. By the way you love each other. By how you love each other. How you care for one another. So, this is what we talked about last time. Okay? So this is what we're building on. How are we responding to the Word of God? Here's what God has asked us to do. Right? He's asked us to have communion with Him and enduring confession and consider others. But we enter into the fourth uh, warning scripture in the book of Hebrews. Now, each one builds. I don't want you to miss the build, okay? So when we began with the warnings, it was don't drift. Be careful that you don't drift away. What are we supposed to do? Set our anchor to Christ, right? Set our anchor to Christ. We're anchored. We're not drifting away. Because if we drift away, the next thing that comes is doubting. So we drift away, and then we find ourselves doubting. And then doubt leads to dullness of hearing. We talked about that, right? Dullness of hearing. In other words, God's calling us on to greater and greater things. That was Hebrews 6. But we become dull of hearing. And we're not moving. We're not going on. So we're stuck in that place where so many people have perished before without having everything that God has for us. But if if we continue this journey, we go to a place where we despise God's Word. And that's the fourth warning. That's where we find ourselves today. The problem of continuous sin. Look at what he said. Verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So if we go on sinning deliberately, now let's make this as simple as we can. Sinning, anytime we sin, we have sinned deliberately, haven't we? I mean, we're all adults now, right? So we, we pretty much know what we're supposed to do, but we don't always do it. Are we okay with that? So what we're looking at here in verse 26 is not the concept of, Oh, if you don't know you're sinning, it's okay. But if you do know you're sinning, that's not what he's talking about when he talks about sinning deliberately. The idea of sinning deliberately is this concept we're going to discuss today called willful sin. Willful sin or high-handed sin is not the idea that, oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't know or I knew I was doing it and I, I, I did wrong anyways. That's not willful. 
Willful is sinning with a high hand. It's a rebellion against God. It's the next step from leaving that place of drifting that led to doubting, that led to dullness, and now I, I actually despise, I, I, have, I hold God in contempt, uh, uh, and so I am willfully disobedient to what He's asking me to do. And each, as we've worked our way through, each of these warning passages, guys, I, don't, I, I know there's a lot of people out there who will tell you this is something different. It's not to believers. You're going to have a hard time proving that on Monday at coffee with me. <laughs> because, man, he's going to tell us these guys have been sanctified by the truth. These guys have come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, if you're sanctified and you know the truth, we're talking about believers. And on top of that, he says, we, did you notice that? Verse 26, for if, what's that little pronoun there? We go on sinning deliberately. We, so the writer of Hebrews puts himself in this category too, right? And he's writing to Hebrew believers. And so we, we, ha- we know that this is talking about believers. So we want to delve in a little bit and understand a little bit this idea of high-handed sin. And hopefully, uh, as we carry our way through, you, you will be able to understand. Verse 27 says, But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So God will judge the entire world, right? The enemies of God are going to be judged. Yes? The enemies of God are going to be judged. We know that all the way through the Scripture. Here's what we tend to, dis, to, to ignore. The house of God is where it's going to start. That's us. The judgment of God coming through first the house of God. Let judgment begin in the house of God. So there is the reality that God is going to judge His people. So let's look at it. The prospect that we're looking at. Continuous sin. This continuous sin. We saw earlier the appropriate response to God. Right? What's the appropriate response? Draw near to God. Right? Let us draw near. Remember? The appropriate response is for us to hold fast our confession. The appropriate response is for us to love one another. The inappropriate response is for us to go on sinning. To excuse our sin. To just continue to, to move on in that, in that same, with that same attitude. Because if we do, if we do, those who fail to appreciate our continuing need for Christ's repentance, that continuing need for repentance in our life, need to realize that, that the redemptive action of the Lord, it's, there's no reason to say we should have it. We should live a life of redemption. In other words, we should live a a life of repentance. That we're coming to the Lord continually. God, I need you because I'm a sinner. That's a different attitude. Willful sin is basically, God, I don't care. And if that's our attitude, we should not think. We should not think that, that God is just going to overlook that. You should not think that. As we work our way through, let's take a look. What is the punishment that can be expected? Look at verse 28. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses, Old Covenant. Now we're New Covenant, right? You with me? So anyone who set aside the law of Moses, anybody who, who high-handedly dealt with the law of Moses. I don't care what the law of Moses says. 
dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the Old Covenant had the same deal in it. Well, let's look at that deal. I want to understand that deal, willful sin. So let's look at Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15, verse 27 is going to give us uh, the law of it. And then he's going to give us an illustration immediately following that. So let's take a look. So it says in verse 27, If one person sins unintentionally, he will offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering. And the priest will make an atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake. When he sins unintentionally, make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Unintentional. Again, the idea we got to put our, our Hebrew minds on. A Hebrew mind, unintentional sin was saying, man, I'm going to do my, I'm trying to follow God. My goal is to follow God and be obedient to Him. But I mess up. Then there was a sacrifice I could bring. There was a sacrifice I could bring, and there was forgiveness. But look what he says in verse 29. He says, you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, or a stranger who sojourns among them, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person will be cut off from his people. The person who does it with a high hand. High-handedness is rejection. High-handedness, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do what you say. Now you still may call yourself one of the children of Israel. The children of Israel uh, did this all the time, actually. You may still call yourself a child of Israel, but you have sinned with a high hand. And what they're saying is, if you've rejected the law of Moses, there's no sacrifice, there's no way for you to get right. There's no way to get right with that attitude, that rejection that's going on, because you revile the Lord. You revile Him. And that person will be cut off. Because he, was, because he has despised the word of the Lord, broken His commandment, the person will utterly be cut off. His iniquity shall be on Him. So it's a deliberate act of rebellion against God and His decrees. Rejection, an outright rejection of what God's Word says. Know what God's Word says. Rejecting what God's Word says. Do what I want. That's what it is to sin with a high hand. And the Bible says there's no, there's no more sacrifice for that. But remember I told you there's an example, right? We like examples, don't we? Examples help us understand. How does this really work in reality? Well, all we have to do is continue reading in the book of Numbers. Verse 32. And while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron. And to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation will stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones. As the Lord commanded Moses. Now he didn't commit murder. He picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. He rejected the law of Moses and was put to death. This ought to mess with our minds. No? It ought to mess with our minds a little bit. Like, what in the world? What is, what is it that, that God's telling us? What is God laying out for us here? Because He's saying in the Old Covenant, two or three witnesses, 
You sin with a high hand. There's not a sacrifice to bring. They couldn't go to this guy and say, okay, you, you messed up. And so just offer this sacrifice. Because the guy intentionally didn't care, heard what it was that God had said, and said, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want. On one hand, he says, I am part of God's people. On the other hand, he says, I'm going to do what I want. There's a problem between those two. And so God says, he has to die. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy as we look at the scriptures, we see what's laid out for here. So we see this is an example of sinning with a high hand. Immediately after the context where it's introduced to us. We're told this is what sinning, don't sin with a high hand, there's no sacrifice for you. And immediately we're given a story of a man sinning with a high hand and being put to death for gathering sticks. Here's what I want you to understand. Nowhere in Numbers 25 is any of this an example of salvation. Soteriology is not the question. The question is a question of obedience. Are they being obedient? This is what happens when someone violated the Mosaic Covenant. It's not a public repudiation of belief in Christ. The sin in view denotes any deliberate act of covenant unfaithfulness. This was picking up sticks. It was picking up sticks. It was a deliberate disobedience to what God had said. The gravity of the sin is determined by the defiant attitude by which it is committed. That's what makes it willful. We have a different situation, just a, uh, a supposed situation. Same deal. Sabbath day, people uh, getting all busy, somebody forgets, reaches down, does some work. You know, messes up. Does something that he shouldn't have done. Whoops, I messed up. There was a sacrifice for that. It's all about the attitude. Now we're going to bring this back around to the new covenant, but there's something that the church ought to be considering. How do I view sin? Do I see it the way God sees it? Or am I guilty sinning with a high hand? Am I, am I guilty of these things? Well, let's look at it. Well, that's the old covenant, Jackie. What about the new? What's the next verse say? Hebrews 10.29 How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and outraged the Spirit of grace? So now we're moving to the new covenant. Well, that's the old. What about the new? And the writer of Hebrews says, how much worse punishment you think they should face if they're trampling the Son of God, if they're despising the blood of Jesus Christ, if they're outraging the Spirit of grace. Don't lose sight. A lot of people want to come here and say, well, this is, a, this is an apostate. The word apostasy doesn't exist anywhere in the Scripture. You have to import it. He's talking to believers. He's telling them, look guys, here's what God, how God wants you to respond, but there are some people responding this way, and those people who are responding that way should have an ex- expectation of the judgment of God. 
Not of the past, not of God overlooking, not of God just saying, you know what, just do what you want, it's okay. But you know, too many people don't want to talk about this. What they want to talk about is everything's okay. It's all good. Do whatever you want. But we can fill up lots of churches with that message. But that message filling up lots of churches isn't helping the people of God be and accomplish and do what it is God's asking of them. What are these three things that we have here? The refusal of valuing the Son of God. To trample the Son of God underfoot. Just here in the book of Hebrews, when we talk about the Son of God, the idea to trample Him underfoot means to treat Him with contempt or disdain. I don't care about Him. It doesn't matter. That's the, the attitude. There are seven affirmations as we work our way through the book of Hebrews that talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. You remember? We've been talking about how great Jesus is, how, how blessed He is, that He is the, the greatest, the one and only thing that we need in our life. And the Scripture tells He's the heir of everything here in Hebrews. He's the heir of it all. He's the mediator of all of creation. Stands in the gap for us. He's the radiation of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being. That He, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is uniquely qualified to be the final manifestation of God. The last revelation. God has finished what He has to say through Jesus Christ. For He is identified with God Himself. He has accomplished something that no one else could achieve. The purification of sins which occurred once for all by His death on the cross. Having completed that work of atonement, the Son has been exalted. He's been enthroned. He's been lifted up so that all men would be drawn to Him. So that they would look upon Him at whom they have pierced. So that they would have hope. He has that place of honor. He's the divine Son who learned obedience by what He suffered. Once made perfect, He is the author of eternal salvation. But the person who sins with a high hand is treating Jesus Christ with contempt. Trampling Him. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to think about that when we are find ourselves on that crossroad. How are we going to respond to sin? The second thing he says is that he has profaned the blood of the covenant. That means they don't consider the blood of Jesus Christ worth anything. What's the big deal about the blood of Jesus? Now, look, while we're talking about this, wrap around your mind the Scripture, because the Scripture is full, rife, with, with Scriptures that, that challenge us along this very same route, the same way. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-32. We talked about it last week in communion. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, without adding value, without seeing the, the beauty, the majesty of Jesus Christ, without discerning the body, drinks and eats judgment upon himself. That is why, listen, so many are weak. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. 
He says, some of you are weak because you don't value the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not discerning the body and the blood. So we just have communion, right? We, we have communion. And he's saying, because of your attitude in communion, some of you are weak. You're not growing. You're not becoming who you can be in Christ because you're not giving value to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But what else does he say? He said, this is why many of you are weak, ill, and some have died. That's the Word of God. Some have died. Why? They wouldn't examine themselves. They wouldn't examine themselves. They wouldn't look and see what's going on. Verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, But if we judged ourselves truly, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we looked inside our own heart and said, What's going on in my heart? man?" I, and then we took that in repentance to God, now there's a sacrifice because your attitude's different. You, you get what he's talking about? But if your attitude is just, I don't care. I don't care. I'm just going through the motion. I'm just working my way out. Then that's a different thing altogether. It says in verse 32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I don't want you to miss that. When we are judged by God, we are disciplined so that we won't be condemned by the world. So what's he pointing to? He's pointing to those who are sick and those who have died. And he's saying, ultimately, that's a picture of the mercy of God. Because God took them so they wouldn't be condemned with the world. Was the Bible talk about that anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it does. But what we're looking at here is regarding the blood. Are we regarding the blood properly? What about outraging the Spirit? That's the next one. Outraging the Spirit of grace. In Zechariah 12.10 it says this, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. What's God saying? I pour out my spirit of grace. I am pleading with you. Stop! I am pleading with you, turn, I am pleading with you, come to me. The book of Romans says, all day long I hold out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long I'm reaching. Are we outraging the spirit of grace by which God is calling us? Are we outraging the spirit of grace by our behavior? By how we live our life? By the things that we choose to do. Because Zechariah 12.10 lays out for us that this is the attitude of the Spirit to give us grace. Does God want to forgive you? Yeah. He does. Do you want forgiven? Do you even care? doesn't even matter. Because now, that's the difference between a high hand and an unintentional sin. Willful sin and deliberate sin. Okay, I'd like to try to give us some examples of this so we can kind of wrap our mind around it, okay? So let's talk about David. David is a man after God's own heart, right? Everybody knows David is a man after God's own heart. What else does everybody know about David? Come on, you guys know, don't be shy. He sinned with Bathsheba, right? Oh, that dirty dog. That dirty, good for nothing. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God specifically 
through Nathan the prophet, asked David, why do you hate me? You ever had God say that to you? Because David sinned with a high hand. How do I know David sinned with a high hand? Because in Psalm 51, David said, There's no sacrifice I can give. There's no sacrifice that I can give. Psalm 51, 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. There's nothing he could give. There is no sacrifice for willful sin. But what did David do? What made David a man after God's own heart? What did David do? It says... Uh, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, a repentant heart. What did David do? He fell down on his face and he said, Oh, you're, I have sinned against you, God. I'm guilty. And his attitude changed. Before when he was Bathsheba, oh, I don't care, man. I'm a king. I do what I want. I can take who I want and I can cover it up. I'm going to take her. I'm going to kill her husband. In a few months when everybody stops the tongue stop wagon, I'm going to move her in. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to count the days when the baby's born. I'm sitting with a high hand, man. I'm sitting with a high hand. But David is called a man after God's own heart because he sought, he cried out for God's mercy. The warning in Hebrews is, man, don't get stuck in willful sin. Don't get stuck in willful sin. Even the right, Paul writing to the church at Corinth said, look, some of you are currently sick because of your willful sin against the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, some of you have died because of your willful sin against the blood of Jesus Christ. Stay in that place. But when from the pulpits of the church around the country you have people telling you it's okay, it's okay, do what you want, it doesn't matter, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says it does matter. Sin matters to God. What would it take for you to take one of your children and, and allow someone to nail them on a cross so that they died for the sin of somebody else? Is that just something you go, oh yeah, I, just, I would do that all the time. Yeah, would you? Because God was so desperate to provide a way for us that He gave us the greatest thing that He possessed. His Son. What do you think He's going to do when you trample Him? What do you think He's going to do when you treat His blood like it's just a common thing? What's the big deal? What do you think He's going to do when you trample the Spirit of grace? Because the scripture says, all you really have to look forward to is the judgment of God. The judgment of God being poured out. Well, that's David. You got any more, Jackie? Oh, yeah. Actually, the Bible's full of them. Did you know that? Open up your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. The first uh, 11 verses, we'll take a look at another story in the Bible. It says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it was unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You can do whatever you want to with it. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. What just happened? What just happened? Man, we want to come to them. What we want to do is we want to bring our brush and we want to paint Ananias. He's, a, he's an apostate. Satan got in his heart. Satan got in his heart, and so he was never really saved, and so that God's saving the church from his evil. You buy that? You don't think that that same junk in his heart is in yours? Is in mine? You don't think that we want to come before the church and make ourselves look better? What was the whole deal, man? It was a little thing. It was like picking up sticks on the Sabbath. It's a little thing. Barabbas had sold a piece of property and gave all the money to the church and everybody hooped and hollered and said, man, what a, what did I say? Barabbas, that's not right. Barnabas. I was like, Barabbas? I knew that preacher was crazy over there teaching all kinds of nonsense. Anyway, Barnabas. Barnabas had done this. And then anyway, so they all were proclaiming what a great guy he is. So, like, a little while later, Ananias and Sapphira go, man, that was cool how everybody thought Barnabas was so awesome. Let's do the same thing. They sell a piece of property, but then they go, wow, let's just tell them we're giving it all to them. And we'll keep some of it back, you know, so we can take care of us. Which they could have done. All they had to do was say, hey, we're going to give you guys part. But they didn't do that. They lied. Now, seriously. Seriously. You're going to tell me that's apostasy. Then we got a lot of apostates in the church. Because we've all felt that way before. No? You never wanted the praise somebody else got? You, you, you never had those same attitudes in your heart? Never? So what happens? Ananias dies. that the end of the story? Well, it's not the end of the story. It keeps going, huh? It says, And the young man rose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He said, yeah. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out. And immediately she fell down dead. What is that? If not exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying Man, be careful about willful sin. Now, anywhere in Acts 5, 1 through 11, did it say Ananias and Sapphira spent eternity in hell? Anywhere does it say they lost their salvation? But what does it say? Man, God chased them. He judged them right now. And I would bid to you, that's the mercy of God. 
That's God saying, I'm not going to let you run that far down that road. I'm going to bring you home now. And you're going to stop. You're going to be standing. It's got to be a bad day, right? Standing, lying in front of Peter, and then in the next instance, you're standing before Jesus. And you can't lie to him. That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's how God sees sin. That's not how we see it, is it? We, we like to make excuses for it. We like to somehow build the ramp to get us around all this so we don't have to consider it. It says, when the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What was Peter's role in all that? All Peter's role was, was to confront. God did the judging, didn't he? Look, Peter don't got no juice. He didn't have no special power. He could point at some dude and go, zap, okay, you're dead. Zink, I got you too. And that's when the Bible says, don't judge. The Bible, that's what the Bible says. Look, you don't got the right to point around and tell people where they are or where they are. And that's God's job. You got the right to confront? You got the right to confront? So, what can this kind of Christian expect from God? Severe? Discipline. No need to water down what's going on here. Look, it says judgment and fire indignation and how much worse punishment should we be seen. We have already seen in history, Israel, that hardly anybody who started the journey made it to the promised land. Right? They died out in the wilderness. Nearly all of them died out in the wilderness. Well, Jackie, that all you got? Oh, there's this other one nobody likes to talk about. How about 1 John chapter 5? 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he will ask him, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What's he talking about? The simple reading of the text would seem to indicate that there are some sins, like we have seen examples of earlier, that can lead to death. That this is a chastening from the hand of God. That the Lord does this, but it does not indicate a loss of salvation. It indicates judgment of God. Children of Israel, guys. The children of Israel were pretty constantly disobedient to God, weren't they? How many times did God judge them? Well, all you got to do is spend a little time in the Old Testament. It's over and over and over and over and over, right? There's consistently the chastening of the Lord. Did God ever say, you're no longer my people. I'm not going to have Israel no more. He just continued to chasten them. Continued to, to do this work in their lives. Remember, 1 Corinthians again, 11.28, Let a person examine himself. Let a person examine himself. And then let him eat of the bread and the cup. God wants communion, right? 
Examine yourself. Look at what's going on inside of you. Because if we are doing these things in an unworthy manner, we're heaping judgment on ourselves. We're heaping the judgment of God and the chastening of God. And I got brothers come to me and they're saying, Jackie, how come God won't talk to me? I keep praying and I don't get any answers. But I'm, I'm holding on to my sin. I cherish my sin so much that I won't let it go. And the Bible says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, God won't hear you. Why isn't God talking to you? Let go of the sin. Let it go. Cling on to the Lord. Hold on to Him. That's what God is laying out for us. Well, what is it the next thing that He says in Hebrews chapter 10? Look at verse 30. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now most of the time when I talk about that, I'm telling people, look, you don't have to go out for revenge because nobody is going to get away with anything. Isn't that what that says? God says, vengeance is mine, I will pay. God knows what's up, and He knows how to deal with it. What is the very next phrase? The Lord will judge who? You think about that? Because the context of what God is saying is, I'm going to deal with all of it. I'm going to take care of it all. I'm going to chase it. Now we're in Hebrews 10. We get to Hebrews 12. We're going to look at the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Kind of an example of all those examples we should follow. But when we get to 12, in Hebrews 12, God says, look, I chasten the ones I love. I'll discipline the ones that I love. I'm going to deal with these things. Vengeance is mine, the Lord said. I will repay. In the next line, the Lord will judge His people. That's me and you. So how should I see my sin? How should I look at it? Not a willful. I should look at it like David, no? David, where I can go, Lord, I sinned against you. I'm, I, you're right, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. I want to come to the Lord that way. Because here we see the law of retribution. No one gets away with it. And the law of judgment. What's the law of judgment? 1 Peter 4, 17 and 19. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Look, when I look at the world and they're doing crazy things, I should go, of course. They don't know Jesus. Where's judgment begin? With the people who say, I love Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then God says, okay, that's where we're going to start. Here's my word. Now walk with me. Walk with me in obedience through the word. But sometimes we come to those pieces of the word and we go, I just don't like that. I don't, you think I, I read all these books and I never find something I don't like? I don't like that. I don't know if I like that. I want, I don't, I don't, I'd like to take that. I want to cut that one out. I don't get to do that. I don't get to do that. I gotta, I gotta obey it all. I gotta obey it all. I gotta have that right attitude. It says, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I want to, I want to delight myself in your law. 
Because the Bible says, if I delight myself in the law of the Lord, what will he do? He will open up my heart and put his desire in my heart. His desires inside of me. That's what God does. He changes us from the inside out. He places it inside of us. It is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, do you listen to that? I think some of us need to hear that more often. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what's that mean? Look, the righteous people are barely getting in just like the rest of us. How are we getting in? By the grace of God. By the blood of Jesus Christ. By treasuring Him. By giving Him His due worth. And then, when I sin, unlike some people who might declare, I don't have to repent, I don't have to ever ask for forgiveness. Nope, that's not me, dude. i got to live my life every day, on my knees, asking for repentance. Repenting from my failures and looking to God for victory as I continue moving on. And that's a life filled with the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's sinning unintentionally and not willfully. If I sin willfully, all I can expect is to fall into the hands of the living God. What's verse 31 say? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember we said, one of the major things of Hebrews, God has spoken, so how are we responding to the Word? When Israel failed to believe and obey His Word, what did God do? He chastened them. He brought judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Speaking of the nation of Israel who went before us. They're all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. Remember it parted? All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil like they did, that we would not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, that we would not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor should we grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. All of those examples, what are they examples of? They're examples of men and women who sinned willfully and God brought judgment. And God brought judgment. God would straighten out. And all of them died as a result of their willful sin. All of them died. And I can't state, 
a case for every single person who ever died in the children of Israel. But I can say this. The scripture does not say that they went to an eternity without God. The scripture simply says God killed them for their willful sin. You ever wonder why the church is powerless in a world careening out of control? You ever wonder why people can't hear the things that we say? Or maybe why we can't make a a greater effect or get more people to come and be a part of the things that are going on? What should a believer do that has drifted away, finds himself in spiritual doubt and ultimately a dullness, and then is deliberately despising God's Word? He should turn to God for mercy and forgiveness, for there is no other sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice Christ made is sufficient for all. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, being chastened and disciplined. But it's a wonderful thing to fall into His hands for cleaning and restoration like David did. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord. Here's what David declared. 1 Chronicles 21.13 And David said to Gad, I am in great distress, so let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is great. Do not let me fall into the hand of men. What's David say? Look, man, I... I just want to fall into the hand of God. But that is what made him a man after God's own heart. His willingness to fall down before God in repentance. And God is merciful and gracious and will forgive. The call in this second paragraph as we work our way through. Every warning passage started the same way. Here's what God wants. Here's the warning passage. We expect better things from you. Here's what God wants. Here's a warning passage. But we expect better things from you. We don't expect you to fail. We don't expect you to fall. We expect you to be successful. We expect you to endure. We expect you to be men and women who live in an attitude of repentance. Who don't look lightly at sin. Who don't just try to shrug it off. Who realize and recognize. Man, David showed us the way. And God even told us, look, this is why I think he's a man after my own heart. Not because he's perfect. We don't got no perfect people here. Not because he's perfect. Not because he never messes up. But because he doesn't look at his sin when he figures it out. When it all comes together. He doesn't look at it and go, it doesn't matter. That's what Saul did. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I did the sacrifice without you. I didn't need you. I listened to most of what God said, but not all what God said. You guys all remember Saul, right? He didn't last very long, did he? But David didn't sin less than Saul did. David just looked at his sin different. He ascribed value, if you will, to the body of the Son of God to the blood of the covenant, and to the spirit of grace. And as a result, he lived a life of repentance. The warning is, don't stand in willful sin. 
Because God will judge it. Nobody gets away with it. God will judge it. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God in discipline and chastening. It's better, right, to fall on Him. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And there's two possibilities in a relationship with that cornerstone. You remember what they are? One, the cornerstone falls on you and grinds you to powder. That seems bad. (laughs) Two, you fall on the cornerstone and are broken. That's it. So we want the desire of the heart of the church the desire that leads the church into revival and being able to be effective in her world today is a desire that says, I need to fall on you, Jesus. Stop trying to change you so that you, you're more pleasing to me. But rather, I fall on you, and I am broken. And God knows where the pieces go. And we want Him to put it together. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning, Lord Jesus. We, we come to a very difficult, admittedly a hard uh, a piece of the Word of God to look at. And it leads us on a journey through many others, many other th- scriptures that, that would seem to indicate, God, that, that if we continue in willful sin, there is a sin that leads to death. Ananias and Sapphira. There's a sin that, that leads to very harsh and difficult judgments, just like what happened in the life of David. There are, there are things that come into our life as a result of our sin, and sinning with a high hand against God, we find ourselves in a position where all we can expect is a fearful judgment that God should bring. But God, if we can change our hearts, that we don't look at our sin that way, that we would hear what Paul says to the church at Corinth and examine our own heart and say, where am I? Where am I, God? What's my attitude toward you? I want my attitude to be the attitude that is biblical. I want the attitude that says, I'm going to follow you, God, because you have laid it all out for us. You have laid it all out so that I I can know that your way is right. There's a way that seems right to me, but it leads to death. God, I want to follow your path. I want to be on your walk. I I want to follow you wherever you lead me. God, I just pray that that would be... Our heart that we live lives of repentance on our face before God, broken on the cornerstone. So I don't want to be having the cornerstone grind me. I come. God, I come. Fall down before the God of the universe who is willing and able to forgive me but I have to have the right attitude toward my sin. An attitude that says there's nothing wrong with this. There's no sacrifice for that. An attitude that says, no, Lord, you're right, and I I messed up, and I don't have anything I can give for this. Just like David, I fall before you broken on the cornerstone. God, I pray that you do a work in your church that would bring us into a right relationship with you where we can see 
the power of God moving through a church that looks different from the world, not just like them. That's not condemning them because the judgment begins in here, not out there. In here, we deal with these things in our hearts. We get these things right. We have a proper view of sin in our life. And then out there, we take the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ is how we need to deal with that which separates us from God. God, I pray that you, Father, open our eyes to the truth of your word. That it takes root. That you, God, hold us accountable for what your word teaches. And that we would take it seriously. Lord, we ask that you be glorified in this place. And even as we enter into a time of worship and close out service, God, I pray that we would have a heart and attitude of repentance. Because the only place where we can find that is in the proper view of Jesus. Not trampling him, but bowing before him. Not counting the blood as a common thing, but seeing the blood of Jesus Christ as the only power to make me new. To recognize the spirit of grace is calling us. Is calling us to something better. God, I pray you be glorified in this place as we seek you with hearts and minds attuned to who you are, what you've said, and what you've done. That we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.